0: If you remember, the, one of the things I said about Psalms 20 and 21 is we have all of these these yous, it's particularly in Psalm 20, in the early part of Psalm 20. And we're going to read both together in a moment. But they first thing, that one of the things I said is those yous don't refer to you. Um, this is not uh, a psalm that is um, about you specifically. These psalms are about a king. Uh, they're royal psalms, we call them. This is, and I don't think that we have royalty tonight. I don't know, um, no eight-year-old royalty like Josiah or anything like that here. Um, but, and even if you are royalty, and you have, if you're of that lineage, you're not this kind of royalty. You're not a king of the nation that God set apart to to carry his name. and um, And so in that sense uh, this, the Psalms are unique. They're about God's people trusting in God's promises to God's King. And we don't even live in a monarchy. So we don't think in the language of Kings, but particularly this divine monarchy, there are, these are about the unique promises that God made to King David. And that covenant language is going to show up here in Psalm 21. And so before you get up and go to the restroom, or which means leave and go eat at Moe's or something like that, because this doesn't apply to you. Just hang on for a second, uh, because there is great application for us. It's not going to be in a one-to-one sort of way, but, but there is much to learn from this psalm. And we know that all Scripture, again, is inspired by God and is profitable to us. And so we, we, need, we need this psalm, as we know it all Scripture. And this psalm also points us to Christ, just as Psalm 20 did. I, don't, I wouldn't categorize it as a messianic psalm, but I do think this is one of many psalms, uh, like them, that the words, they're, they're too big for David alone. Um, the shoes, the shoes are, are, are too big for him. This is David walking around in his greater son's bigger shoes. Um, and so we'll see that as we go through. But the promised king who sits on the throne, whose rule will never end, I think there is a pointer here to Christ, which is always something we need uh, to be pointed to Christ. So Psalm 20, uh, Psalm 20, and this is how the two relate together, and we're going to read them together in just a moment. But Psalm 20 is a prayer asking for victory in battle. Psalm 21 is a prayer of thanksgiving for the victory that God has granted by His in answer to the prayer of Psalm 20. So Psalm 20, I titled the message, and it's right out of the text. In verse 9 of Psalm 20, it's God saved the king. Psalm 21, it's God saved the king. He's answered, and so it's a prayer of thanksgiving uh, because of that. And so let's read uh, Psalms 20 and 21, and you'll see how the two fit, uh, fit together in this way. Psalm 20, To the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. In Psalm 21, to the choir master, a Psalm of David: O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults! You have given him his heart's desire, and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. For you meet him with rich blessings; you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. And so one of the things I just before we even get to the really unpacking the psalm and we'll do it briefly tonight is how often do we turn to God in asking him for help in our times of trouble and then forget to thank him when he answers. And this this pairing of psalms it calls us to that we're all about the asking but we forget about the thanking. And and we we can have bad Worship manners, and this psalm corrects that. But the psalm teaches us, and what we'll see here, it teaches us to look both ways. Well, before we get there, one of the things you need to under, one of the challenges in Psalm twenty and twenty one is who is saying, who is the speaker here, um, and so who is who is saying this, who is praying this? It's a psalm of David, that, but that could mean it's David is the one speaking. It could mean um, it's it's um, a priest. Speaking of of David, it could mean uh, the congregation is is making this petition, but it it concerns David, it concerns the king, and so there is there is debate. I I tend to think that it's probably the congregation that's that's speaking on behalf of David, or it's David himself speaking in the third person, which is which is not unusual. But e- either way, and then as we get down to verses eight and following, all there's one other kind of interpretive issue that will. Hit, which will be helpful in understanding what's going on. But but one of the thing what this psalm does is it teaches us to look both ways. That's what I was getting at. When you walk in the city, when you're crossing streets, we teach our children to look both ways, right? Left, right, left, or if you're in the U.K., right, left, right, and uh, which always messes me up. Um, easier to drive, I think, than walk in those cities and places. Um, but as we walk in the Lord, we always have to look back and look ahead, and that's what the psalm what what the psalmist is doing here what David is doing he's calling us to look back in thanksgiving for how God has saved and he's looking forward to future victory future full final deliverance and um and both of those are essential for for us at all times now the structure of the psalm is 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 pretty simple and you can see it and um i i call it uh, a stability sandwich Is what I, how I've tried to think of this psalm. And because you have verse seven, which is the meat in the middle. That's, this is what it's really, this is the core of the, of the psalm, verse seven. It's right in the middle of the psalm. The king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast of the Most High, he shall not be moved. And so that's, that's the center, center part. On both sides of that center part, you have this look to the past, past deliverance in verses two to six. This is a reason for the king's confidence in the Lord. And you have in verses 8 to 12, the future deliverance and what God is going to do. And then, and then the bread on the outside are, are these calls to praise. It's thanking and the joy, rejoicing in the Lord in verse 1. And it concludes with praise again in verse 13. So, so that's kind of just gives you some of the structure. But, uh, to the choir master, a psalm of David. And if you just remember nothing else, from our time in the Psalms before, I hope you remember this, is when you see those those markers like that, what this is communicating is this is for the worship gathering. This is for the worshiping assembly. This is a song for for the, the, the communal praise of the Lord. Um, and not that we couldn't use these Psalms in the privacy of our homes, but I think it does remind us of the importance of the worshiping assembly, even for the church. Um, all right, so the, this is the two two points tonight and and very simply using that looking back, looking forward first thing, look back with joy over god 's past deliverances and and so he's looking looking with thanksgiving for how God has worked as he 's prayed in psalm twenty and so just several points here first thing that we see is that joy comes from experiencing the strength and salvation of god that's in verse. Uh, one, O oh Lord, in Your strength the king rejoices, and in Your salvation how greatly he exults. He rejoices in the strength and salvation that God gave in response to his his asking. And 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 notice, it's Your strength and Your salvation. Uh, the, 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 a joyful life is one that that acknowledges that everything we have is from God. Um, it's a miserable existence to. To to think that our deliverance is due to us and to our merit, and but David here is acknowledging God. It's it's your might. It wasn't chariots. It wasn't horses. It was the strength of your might. Salvation is from you, Lord. And so this is a cause for joy. Second, joy uh, cause is that joy comes from experiencing our heart's desire and answered prayer. Verse two. You've given him his heart's desire. Have not withheld the request of his lips. And so he's offered many prayers to the Lord. He's asked God for many things that are recorded there for us in Psalm 20. And, and he's expressed this deep desire of his heart to God as the Lord's king. And, and the Lord graciously answered him. And David rejoiced. And again, we have to be careful here because there's not a one-to-one analogy. It's, it's, it's not that God has promised to give us everything we want. God will give me whatever my heart desires and that's not what he's saying, and I'm sorry to burst your bubble, um, but what we 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 do need to exercise caution here with regard to our heart's desire. But I, I do think there is it's good for us. But you have passages like Jeremiah 17:9, who speaks of the deceitfulness of our hearts, and they're desperately sick, and we know the the proclivity of our hearts to turn away from the Lord, just like Solomon did in 1 Kings 11:4. First Corinthians four, four and five. God will one day bring the light, the the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of our hearts, so we can have these hidden purposes and and wrong purposes. But this is the encouragement. It's from Philippians two thirteen that God is able to work in our hearts to desire, uh, to cause us in us a desire that is consistent with His will. He's able to do that, and that's that's God does that all the time for us, and so. Some of the greatest joys in our lives are are found when God gives us our desire that's in accordance with his will. Uh, I mean, I I just I just remember um, just the the asking of prayer again when when Katie was sick and just one night just being so distraught and it would have been such a hard day and, and and just just throwing out some things to you as a church and just my prayers and and the next day, every one of those things was answered. And I just remember the joy. God, thank you for for, for that. Just answered prayer. God graciously giving us the desire of our heart. And it's in line with His will. So this is one of the things David, David prays. One of the causes of joy. And then the next, in verse 3, Joy comes from experiencing good things from God. You meet Him with rich blessings. Set a crown of gold on, on His head. He went from being a shepherd boy to being king. And 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 notice the personal, how personal the giving of these gifts is. You you meet him. God meets us with His presence and the giving of blessings. It's it's not just, it's a distant thing. But the, the language is very personal. And again, God gives us and blesses us with many good things in life. And as we, when we see God as the giver of these good things, there's great joy in those things. Um, and, and so we can, we can rejoice in, the, in, in those things. Uh, fourth, uh, joy comes from receiving life from God here in an eternity. Um, he asked the life of you, and you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. And, and when God has blessed us with the fullness of life here on earth, and we realize then that we can live with him forever, it's, ing- it's a source of incomparable joy for us and and in David, you think of the context in which David, it probably is referring to that there will be a king on the throne forever and ever and ever. His throne his reign will never end, and that covenant uh, promise um, and and so it's this certainty of god's God's faithfulness to keep his promise, and that's going to come back in verse seven. But uh, fifth, joy comes from experiencing God's blessings and blessing and presence. Um, his glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him the most blessed forever. You make him glad with joy of your presence. We want good gifts from God. Yes. More than anything, we want the presence of the giver. And this is, this is what gives joy to the people, people's heart as they think of their king. And then finally, joy comes from knowing this covenant stability Verse seven, this is the central part of the psalm, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. You have there both sides of covenant responsibility. You have this hesed, steadfast love of the Lord. That's God's part of the covenant, this never-ending, loyal love. And then you have the king trusts in the Lord. That's the, that's, that was, that was, the king's responsibility. It's our responsibility. We trust God as He is loyally loving to us with this unending, steadfast love, and and when there is that, there is a stability of life, and and and, and which is again, it's, it's a cause. It's the grounds for such tremendous joy in the Lord. So that's the first thing. We rejoice in the Lord and give thanks as we look. Back And now the psalm looks forward and he looks forward with this hope in God's future triumph in verses 8 to 13. And so the first half of the praise song sounds like a lot of the songs we sing. And we sing a lot of thankfulness for God's salvation. And the second half, it sounds a little more, a little unfamiliar to our ears. We don't often sing about slinging arrows at people's faces. Um, I don't think that we have any arrows and faces songs, at least in our normal Repertoire of singing at, uh, at this church. But David is praising God for, ki- for, for that he's going to kill his enemies. And, um, and we'll, we'll un- unload that here in a second. So a few things we see about this future victory that God is promising that David is looking forward to. And the people are looking forward to. Um, is that future victory comes in the form of death and destruction. Now, again that's a kind of a gloomy way to say it but this is exactly what you see verse 8 your hand now we do who who are all the you's? who's being addressed here who's is the you david is the you god that's probably the two main uh, possibilities here well, i would say i think it's probably god but it could it, even if it is david there's really not much of a distinction because this is god's king god's regent that that it, it's It's a distinction without a difference, as I was just trying to think, and so, so it's it's maybe you could say both hand, but I I think I'm just thinking of as the Lord is doing this. But your hand, verse eight again, will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among. The children of man. So this is this is the other side of salvation. For us to know blessing there has to be destruction, is what he's saying. The enemies have to be destroyed. Again, we even in the cross of Christ, we see these these parallel realities at work while while the cross is life, salvation to those to, to us, it comes through the crushing, the death. And the, and the defeat of, of enemies. And there's even in the future. Our salvation is tied to the fact that Christ is going to come. And is going to judge uh, his enemies. In the, in the tribulation. And so, so it comes in the form of death and destruction. Secondly, future victory is absolutely certain. And you look at this. Your hand will. Your right hand will. You will. The Lord will. Fire will. You will. They will not succeed. You will just over and over and over. God is going to accomplish what He says He's going to do, and it's without question. David lived with the conviction that every single one of his enemies will eventually be hunted down by God. Um, and 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 remember, God's enemies, or, or you could say David's enemies, are God's enemies, and 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 so David believed his enemies were heading for fire burned in the fiery oven experiencing the anger wrath of god and so this this god of love again is is also a god of wrath that doesn't mean he has multiple personalities but but we have these two two complementing uh attributes of god in perfect harmony um so third future victory will be complete uh, verse, latter part of verse nine, the Lord will swallow them up in His wrath. Fire will consume them completely. They, he will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring among the children of man. So God's going to destroy even the enemy's offspring. He will destroy all the God mocking, God hating families of the earth. That's the idea of this. And es- eschatologically speaking, we know that this is a this will come at the end of the great tribulation um and then finally future victory will be just it will be just notice the description of the mindset of the enemy in verse 8 an enemy is not is not one who's confused about god an enemy is one who hates god that's how he's described he hates god and then in verse 11 though they plan evil against you though they devise mischief they will not succeed for you will put them to flight you will aim at their faces with your bows He's just saying justice will prevail. Those who plan, those who scheme, even the secret schemings, even the private intentions of the heart. This is the planning going on behind closed doors, scheming against the Lord and His anointed. Even that is going to be punished. God will stop them. And He won't allow their plans to succeed in the end. Justice will prevail. And there may be times when it appears that evil may succeed but but it is in the end it's not going to and again I just think of of Christ and his incarnation while he's here on earth that 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 there are major plots and plans to destroy the Lord's anointed to destroy the Messiah and ultimately it appeared like their plan succeeded he's nailed to the cross uh, stripped of his dignity and just bleeding and, and bruised and suffering and dying at the hands of wicked men. And it looks like they win. But in fact, the cross and God's plan is the focal point and the central feature of His whole redemptive plan. That even in the, even when it appears that evil is winning, God is assuring final victory. Justice will be rendered. And, 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 and because of the cross, because of that, that event... It means that Israel will one day be saved as a nation. It means that we can be saved as individuals. And so in the empty tomb shows us that, that that Jesus' resurrection then is the first fruits of our hope of resurrection. And so all of these wonderful realities, evil doesn't win in the end. The Lord will do what he said he's going to do, bring full and final victory. Verse 12 Again, you have this image, enemies running every which way, but God will aim his arrows at their faces, and he hits the mark every time. Um, he never, never misses. And I, I just say one application, is it's a dangerous thing to set yourself in opposition against God. Um, and I don't say that out of smug arrogance, because we've all, we were all there. We were, we were born shaking our fists at God. Um, But that should arouse pity in our hearts for those that don't know christ that living hating god Nobody's indifferent towards the lord. They love him. They trust him or they they deny him and, and hate him and And that is a dangerous place to be and eventually You're going down and so god burden our hearts fill us with compassion for those don't know the Savior. So, how does David respond in the end? Again, it comes back full, all the way around to praise. He says, "Be exalted, be exalted, O Lord! In Your strength we will sing and praise Your power." How do we respond with this hope and this anticipation of future full, final deliverance, justice to reign? It's it's worship. We sing His praise. We exalt Him for His power, His glory, His strength, and 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 such as I mean. I was just thinking, for, just by way of application, this is the Lord's Day for us. We come and we come together each Lord's Day, and we celebrate. Uh, we looking back at what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, and we we come and we gather and, and we join and and, and and exalt God for the salvation that we know. And, and the strength of his might, and then we scatter from here, going and proclaiming that salvation uh, each Lord's day. And so, uh, may the Lord fill this church with enthusiastic worshipers who, who, who have this burning desire to see the Lord's name exalted. All right, just a couple things, and then we're going to pray. Uh, one, how do we apply this psalm? And I've made a few points of application along the way, but I would just say, be encouraged when it seems like evil is winning. Um, God, is still, God is still on his throne. And it, it seems like the wicked are prospering. Look at Psalm 73 and Asaph, that struggle. But we can trust God and have stability even in this messed up, fallen world. How? Because, again, we look back. We look at what um, the salvation that is ours. As believers, we look at the at the cross. We see where justice and mercy meet there. And we look forward to Christ's return. And he's going to come and set all things right. He's going to judge. He's going to reign. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we have that hope. And so that, let that give us a stabilizing effect in our lives now in the midst of a tumultuous, trouble-filled world. Second, put away any self-reliance that remains and trust in the Lord alone. Um, don't trust in the arm of flesh. Trust in the God of all flesh, and and so this is this is evident here in the psalm. This is instructive to us. We can't succeed in anything without God's intervention. Um, and I was just thinking, well, we want to pray for vacation Bible school, and and even in those kinds of things, God, we need you. We we can't do this without you. Um, and then finally, let your joy in the Lord flow through the channel of praise. I'm, I'm modifying a quote from Charles Spurgeon there. But let your joy in the Lord flow through the channel of praise. And again, I, I think there's, again, because this is for the gathered assembly, there's a there's, there's response here for us in our corporate worship. May it be vibrant, expressive praise whenever we gather and rejoice in the salvation of the Lord.